while they're learning about the topic, we also take them out in the field so that they can get, again, get their curiosity going. Talk to a farmer, talk to an agronomist, ask the questions about GMOs and water quality and all that stuff you've been wanting to ask. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Today's episode is all about design challenges, and I am so very excited to have with me two amazing ladies that I have been very fortunate over many years to have the privilege of working with, planning with, collaborating with, brainstorming with, getting in trouble with, a little bit around the edges, and I think maybe that's um, actually the best best part. So with us today are Heather Sherman and Jeannie Gogoski. And again, we're going to talk about design challenges. A bit of context here. So Heather is the director of Ohio STEM Learning Network and STEM Relationship Manager for Battelle Education. Uh, she has a long background in history in education, a lot of work in early college, um, a lot of work in STEM, and we're excited to have Heather here with us today. Thank you very much. Joining Heather uh, and myself is Jeannie Golgoski, uh, founding partner of educationprojects.org. And secret about Jeannie, she is really into agriculture. I have never met anybody that can do a better job explaining why soybeans are so important, why corn is so important, why biofuels are so important, and gets jazzed about that. And so we're really, really excited to have Jeannie with us as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start very quickly with each of you. Just give us the 70,000 foot view of your organization and what you do, because that really gets to the heart of what you guys do together, which is the exciting part of the conversation. So Heather, how about we start with you? So just what's the overview of the OSLN and or Battelle STEM Education Initiative? Great. So Battelle is the country's largest research and development institute. And so we do a ton of research and development, and we want to make sure that we have a strong pipeline of future scientists. And so we started investing in STEM education and have stood up three different STEM education networks. We've got the Ohio STEM Learning Network, the Tennessee STEM Education Network or Innovation Network, and also STEMX, which is our national network of STEM networks. And we really want to connect people who care about STEM education to one another. And so that is the the big picture view of what we do. And at the end of the day, an industry saying enough is enough. We need folks. And we we have a lot of knowledge around what it's going to take to prepare people to really be high functioning in STEM and STEAM in the world that we live in today. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. We're, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. And so Jeannie... You play a really sort of connecting role amongst a number of different organizations. So I didn't, it's, it was hard to choose which of Jeannie's hats. Um, so I'm going to let you choose which of Jeannie's hats um, that you sort of want to tell us about as it relates to this conversation today. Great. Well, Education Projects is really a group of teachers and 
design people and uh, communications people who really love teaching and learning. And agriculture happens to be our biggest and most interesting, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. I'm really Absolutely. jazzed about mm-hmm. it, client. <laughs> uh, so we work with Ohio Corn and Wheat. We work with the Soybean Council. We've worked with National and Ohio 4-H. So those organizations, there's lots of them that mm-hmm. we have. And our goal really is to make that connection. You mentioned that to make learning relevant in the classroom and help teachers understand a little bit more. They're really our focus. Teachers help teachers understand a little bit more so they can communicate to students about food production, mm-hmm. where their food comes from. And our goal, just like you mentioned, Heather, that one of our goals uh, for agriculture is to fill the talent gap. Mm-hmm. About 20,000 jobs a year go unfilled in agriculture uh, around the country. And um, as we watch, millennials only have about 6% right. of interest in agriculture. So we need, we're going to need people to, 9 billion people plus mm-hmm. on the planet, figure out ways to, to feed them mm-hmm. and stem is going to be critical in that. Right. And so let's actually lead with that real quick, because this problem in agriculture about the the number of jobs that are available, the number of folks available to fill those jobs currently um, that are qualified, trained, ready to just opt in immediately into work. That same scenario, that same issue, we can uh, translate, quite frankly, across many, many, many industries, uh, careers, options, not just in the U.S., but around the world. We have a massive global shortage of folks ready to opt in to some of our most critical fields of study. And so part of the problem is perception. So I've had the same conversation as it relates to manufacturing, right? And and I think, and ag is, I think, a perfect classic example. So certainly in the U.S., when we think of ag, we think of that traditional farmer, uh, just a dirt farmer. But the reality is, Man, ag is one of the most amazing, innovative, high-tech, seriously out-on-the-edge tech industries. And to your point, Jeannie, it's only going to be more and more of that as we have more and more people that we have to figure out how to to take care of and feed in our planet, which gets us back around to um, why we should utilize ag and opportunities in ag, both as a ways to sort of teach and get students interested, but also to help try to solve global problems. So Heather, explain to us a little bit about the premise of the way Battelle thinks about design challenge and what you guys have been doing with that so that we can come back to Jeannie and this ag problem. Awesome. Yeah. So we believe that teaching students how to solve real-world problems and giving them experience to solve real-world problems is critical to their development to become future problem solvers. And so about three years ago, we started hosting statewide design challenges in Ohio. Uh, The first year, we asked students to come up with solutions to the opioid crisis, which was no small feat. Last year, we asked students to develop Uh, ideas about how to make their communities more heart healthy. Mm -hmm. And this year, we partnered with Education Projects and Ohio Corn and Wheat and the Ohio Soybean Council to ask students to tackle the problem of food insecurity. And after working with Jeannie through a number of projects, every time I'm with Jeannie, she teaches me something new and exciting (laughs) about ag. And I started to realize, wow, there's something to this and we need our students to, to know One, as you said, all the opportunities that there are in ag, 
And two, about how food and agriculture really impact our lives, especially living in Ohio. Right. So we partnered together and decided to make this year's food challenge be about food insecurity so that students have the opportunity to study more about ag, but then also about the real issue about making sure that we have enough food to feed people. Right. And a great case study and absolutely relevant. So, so Jeannie, what does it mean, food insecurity? Well, food insecurity is typically uh, defined as having access to safe, abundant, nutritious food. So if you start thinking about it like that, it's very broad. It's huge. It is, yeah. And for us, the connection to agriculture can be around food waste, could be around technology. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Mm -hmm. drones and uh, unmanned vehicles and all the things that uh, GPS Mm -hmm. technology, all the things that go with agriculture. It could be biotech. It could be biofuels. There's a huge bioeconomy. It could be food waste. Uh, Everybody eats. Absolutely. Because everybody eats (laughs) the issues and problems and potential things that you could work on are endless for students. And part of our goal in being a part of this, Heather and I talked about this this summer and got all excited about it, is that students in any area, chemistry, Mm -hmm. physics, uh, environmental science, biology, general science, any anything, social studies, they all can have a, an interest, a topic that they could study around this mm-hmm. idea of food insecurity. Excellent. And so as we think about this notion of design challenge, and and, and part of the purpose of Learning Unboxed is to, to provide case studies of really amazing things that are happening out in the world and, you know, um, associated with teaching, learning, and work, and to give folks the sort of ins and outs of how to take those great things that are happening and possibly apply them to my own work. Um, we, you know, we don't all have endless resources. We can't all just, you know, pull it all apart and, and, and on a moment redo it, but we can slowly change the paradigm by pulling in the best things that are out there into our everyday practice in our classrooms, in our schools, and in our communities. So, Heather, how does the design challenge structure itself work? So, I'm I'm a teacher. I raise my hand. I've heard about this thing, design challenge. I'd really like to bring it to my community. What What's the structure so that I can get to the point where I can go sell the idea, so to speak. Yes, we leave it really open. There are a ton of resources online about how to run a design challenge, but we ask schools to use the engineering design process or a design cycle where you identify a problem, start to do some research, come up with ideas for a solution to the problem, make a prototype of your solution, and then evaluate your solution. And that's what we want students to do. We want them to have the opportunity to work that process, to have some practice at coming up with an idea, seeing if it works, seeing if it resonates with other people, getting some feedback, making adjustments, because that's how problem solving works. Mm -hmm. And so we leave the frame really open. This year's constraints are that the students need to work together in a team because we really think that learning how to work together in a team is an important skill. We also ask that students have to create a physical prototype of their solution. Oh, excellent. So instead of just um, writing a paper, Mm -hmm. students have to build something, and students have to learn with their hands in their bodies to create a solution that they can get other people to look at and get feedback on. 
And so we ask schools to help help teams, help students form teams. Mm-hmm. We ask them to research the problem. And schools have chosen to run design challenges as a semester-long project. They can run it as a couple-of-week project. You can do it in one class. You can do it across grades. We don't prescribe how schools do it, when schools do it. We just ask that they do it. The other constraint is that schools need to have a, a exhibition of student learning. Right. So we want to make sure that students have an opportunity to share their expertise about all the work that they have done with an authentic audience. So either people from the community or their peers or teachers or parents mm-hmm. so that they can say, hey, look at all the things that I've learned and have an opportunity to share their knowledge. Then once students complete their school-level showcase, we invite schools from all across the state to come to Battelle, and we have a statewide showcase, mm-hmm. which is really amazing because getting all of these students together from kindergarten to 12th grade to share what they've learned over the past year is really inspiring. It's pretty dang epic, actually. It is, <laughs> it is mind-boggling and, and leaves quite the impact on everybody who participates. So, so Jeannie, Within this framework, then, um, you know, again, back to that teacher who's out there or that school or community that says, we really want to take this on. You're really the industry partner. So Battelle comes to this with this framework. And quite frankly, this is the framework that the Battelle research scientists use every single day in their labs, every single day in their works. Um, And at the PASS Foundation and at the Innovation Lab, um, you go there and you can see this happening in real time all the time because... That's the real way we solve problems. So as an example of the local industry participant in this, how do you then influence and actually craft the challenge itself? We have a framework, but it's industry that's leading the question we're trying to solve. Yes? Yes, I think they they have so many things that students could work on. When I listen to Heather talk, I, I get excited all over again, truthfully, because <laughs> I think the same things that you're teaching them are the things that farmers and industry Mm -hmm. folks are doing every day. They're trying to solve a problem and take water quality, for example, Mm -hmm. which has been a big challenge in Ohio with harmful algal blooms coming in Lake Erie. We say, farmers say, how how do we contribute to this problem and how can we help solve it? And as we all know, in water quality, it's very complex. So when students start looking at that, when industry starts looking at that, millions of research dollars have been spent to try trying to figure all of that out. And they use the design cycle, basically. They ask questions. They try. So in the real world, we're doing that. We want to provide for teachers and students in Ohio the resources, the resources. So the the um, we want to provide the authentic audience that you mentioned. We want to do that. We want to provide uh, information. I had teachers call me and say, "Can do you know somebody we can interview mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. about soil science?" We had a kid call and ask for GMO soybeans and, <laughs> and non-GMO soybeans. He has his own experiment going, and we put him in touch with a researcher at Ohio State. So we we want to be the resource and the authentic audience too help kids uh, practice these this real-world design 
solving problems is what we're about to in the industry. Yeah. Well, and a bit of nuts and bolts, because I I know in my own practice is when we start things, you know, one of the things you want to know really early on is what what are the some of the steps, you know, so I can roll up my sleeves and figure that out. So five, then that teacher, was there was there a launch session? Was there a PD, you know, in, in, in the field, teaching, learning and work, everybody talks about that professional development component and it shifts all the time in the way we think about it. And is it is it positive? Is it punitive? What does it really mean? At the end of the day, I would say, hey, that's us learning. So what does the learning piece look like as I get ready to lead my students through whatever the design challenge is? And I, I open that up to the two of you. So I think that there are a couple of pieces to that. The first two challenges that we did with the opioid and the heart health, the focus was more, I think students took it on, on a more social studies health perspective, right? This year, we recognized that we had an opportunity to look at this problem through a couple of different lenses, but because of our partnership with Ohio Corn and Wheat and Ohio Soy, we had an opportunity to explore the really science piece. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to make sure that we were preparing teachers to tackle this problem and have good support for the biotech, for the food, uh, for the food storage, the logistics, Mm -hmm. soil science, water quality. And so what we did was we hosted a day-long professional development session at the 4-H Center, which featured a number of industry experts. We had Jeannie, help me with who we had had there. We had some soil scientists, and we had um, had a seed geneticist Mm -hmm. from Ohio State. Uh, We took teachers on a bus to Waterman Research Farms, which is just a mile from the stadium, and they heard about the hundreds of research projects that are going on there with agriculture, with animal agriculture, too, not Mm -hmm. just crops. That was a really exciting, fun day. And truthfully, so few people know about their food supply food production in Ohio, that you feel like you're starting at scratch sometimes. Like the corn in this field is not edible corn. It's not sweet corn. Right, right. It's 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 dead corn. It's feed corn. corn, So just some basic facts. Uh, And that's why I think teachers were excited um, and enjoyed that day and were intrigued by, by what we did. So that was... That was one thing we did. We created that list of resources, mm-hmm, a long exactly. list of resources that can be found at um, grownextgen.org, mm-hmm. which is where the Soybean right. Council um, resources are found, and ohiocornandwheat.org. Mm-hmm. Also, there you can find a long list of resources that can help you when you have questions right. about any of these topics. And for our listeners, um, these resources that Heather and Jeannie are referencing will uh, will be on the show notes. So uh, no worries there. We'll make sure that we gather all of that. So uh, just keep listening. So then as the teachers have this professional development and now they're going back um, and actually going to start working with the kids, what, what does that look and feel like? Well, so in the day-long PD that we did do, we had a, a lot of access to these industry experts, but we also ran a couple of sessions mm-hmm more practical about how do you run a design challenge? What does it look like? A lot of schools start with a hook activity right? Right. where we get kids excited about the notion of a design challenge. So we did a hook activity at our professional development session where we had a hunger banquet. Now, a hunger banquet is an exercise where you demonstrate how the food resources in the world are unequally, unequally distributed. And so that was a way for us to hook teachers into the weight of this problem. And so that was a way to model a hook activity for teachers. 
they could then either choose to do that or a different hook activity. I know that some schools are bringing in uh, community partners like the Mid-Ohio Food Bank, or we've got another school who's bringing in a farmer to speak. And so a way to get the kids to start to care about this problem, then we ask teachers to help students begin to access what the problem looks like in their community. Because if you live in an urban setting, the problem might manifest itself in one way. If you live in a specific neighborhood, it might be different. If you live in a rural community, it might be different. And so we ask teachers to help students begin to look at what the problem feels like in their local context and begin to do research about that. From there, what ideas do you have to solve that problem? And so sometimes teachers will take the problem. The the problem statement this year is imagine, prototype, and design your solution to food insecurity in your life, community, or world. So it's a really big problem. Sometimes teachers choose to make it smaller and modify it so that it becomes a little bit more manageable. Well, the big white sheet of paper is terrifying. Yes. Right? It's kind of like a podcast interview. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Right. <laughs> All of that. The, um, you know, it, it, it's intriguing because one of the things that I have found fascinating and at the Innovation Lab, um, we, we've we really embraced ag in a number of different ways. And so we've watched students over uh, over a variety of years sort of wrestle with the whole notion, you know, given the fact we're in Columbus, Ohio, um, which is in a state that has a tremendous amount of of traditional like ag in the sense that it's rural, it's out, it's 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 it's, it's wide expanse farming, right? Um, and so one of the struggles that we've really tried to be able to address through the work that we're doing specifically in the lab has been around helping urban and suburban kids really understand where food comes from. Because, you know, a lot of those kids, we have kids who've never left the city. They have no idea other than on television or, you know, or, or, or in photos what farm looks like, right? And so part of, I think, the thing that's really intriguing to me about this, and, and especially as the teachers think about how they modify to give it local relevancy, and I guess that's one of the other things I love about design challenge when done well. It doesn't matter what the big overarching question is. It lends itself to a structure that makes it highly adaptable to be meaningful for the participant. And that, at the end of the day, is the key to contextualizing learning. And so for our kids, for example, um, we've had a number of kids over the years who've opted in to study food deserts as it relates specifically to what happens when immigrants come into our city. Columbus is an immigrant landing pad, um, and we've got folks who come and have no idea where to find food. And we've got folks living right next door to them who have no idea where the food that they're used to even comes from. And it's become a very complex problem as it relates to social justice and equity and opportunity. So Jeannie, how do you then take that kind of a scenario with an individual teacher through the support services you're providing and actually help them craft the thing? That's a that's a great question. Most of the time, I think what we're trying to do is create this curiosity right. about it so that both teachers and students begin to look around and think, what is going on here? What is the real problem? Or what is one of the problems we can even address? When, I, when I'm working with teachers, sometimes I say, we drive down the road in Ohio. You know, you go south on 71 or north on 71 and you see corn on one side because you know what corn looks like. And what is that other crop on the other side? 
and it's soybeans. And mm-hmm. so what are all those soybeans for? There's right. a million of them. Mm-hmm. You know, to create, when you walk into your school lunchroom and you watch things going in the trash, there's some real, you know, just that you would start to think about food waste, mm-hmm. for example. And are there ways we can solve this problem as as a school, myself at home, mm-hmm. at school, in the larger community, in the world? 40%, they estimate, 40% of our food is wasted. Biotech, for example, is trying to solve some of those problems. Right. So the Arctic apple is a result mm-hmm. of that, that apples don't brown as quickly. I mean, there's just so much. And Lisa, I don't even know how to answer that question, <laughs> honestly, because it feels like if we could create some curiosity mm-hmm. around our food supply, I think that the things teachers could do with students would be endless by asking a great question. Mm-hmm. Food waste is a problem. How can we solve that in our school lunchroom? That's, you know, something I think teachers can grab hold of, help students figure out using the skills they're learning in school, math, you know, social studies, Mm -hmm. all of that. So food deserts mean surveys and looking around your own community and seeing where you get fresh food, even understanding what fresh food is. You know, why do we have blueberries that come from uh, South America? You know, what are the crops that right, if you were right. really going to? So I don't know. There's a million questions to be answered. And I think if we could create some curiosity around our food supply with teachers and students, then it would be a topic we'd be talking about all the time. And the reality of it is because it is very, very real in every community, uh, especially, you know, issues tied to food, not just food food security, but um, the inequity, right? And it is becoming a problem that I think is taking a lot of communities by surprise. We have a lot of traditional stereotypes about what it means to, to be in a situation where food is problematic. And what we're finding or communities are finally realizing is it's far more prevalent than we realize that folks struggle on a regular basis to make sure they have enough food, they have healthy food, um, they have safe food, and they're able to get access um, to that food, whether it's, um, you know, in, in, in inner city or it's in the suburbs, it's in wealthy neighborhoods. It's an, it's an intriguing ongoing thing that, that communities are wrestling with. So for the students, though, right? So for the student experience in the middle of this, what once once the the challenge has been laid, what's the process or the experience for the kid? I think that what you just said really hit on something for me that's so important about this. If you're not someone who struggles with food insecurity, mm-hmm. this is a great way to build empathy mm-hmm. and awareness that, oh, oh my goodness, there are people who don't have enough to eat. There are people in my school, maybe someone who sits next to me every day who doesn't have enough to eat. Or, oh my gosh, I never thought about what that crop was that wasn't corn driving up the road. So the design challenge helps identify and suss out problems or questions that does exist. So you build that curiosity and then students start to realize, oh my gosh, there are a number of ways that that food insecurity affects us. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, is the very first step. And then from there, you have to start to whittle down, okay, of all these problems I just surfaced, which one do I want to work on? Right. And so that's when students start to do research and pick one that really resonates with them or resonates with the team. Mm -hmm. And off you go. And off you go. And that's the best part. And so the, the off you go and the full 
immersive nature of design challenge. At the end of the day, design challenge is probably one of the single most, in my mind, effective ways to change the lives of learners. And and I've said this a million times over the years, that it's it's not just, it's thrilling and exciting, but having been immersed in it for so long, honest to goodness for me, it's chills. It's, it's just the watching of the context of the world suddenly have meaning in an individual, in a student. And yesterday, I had the privilege of interviewing three amazing young women who have gone through the, the Battelle design challenges. And they told me without fail that all the wonderful, amazing things they got to do um, within, in this case, uh, STEM school, it never really solidified how special this type of learning experience was until they did the opioid design challenge. Wow. Because suddenly they understood how all the pieces connected and they they found confidence in their ability to solve something they had no idea about. Last year, I have a great story about that. We had students at a, a local middle school, and it was the Heart Healthy Design Challenge. And students came up with a number of instances, another a number of solutions. And sometimes you see trends. We had a lot of students who came up with uh, healthy fun runs or dodgeball right. games and tournaments and stuff. But this group of students decided that they would like to have their school create a cooking class. And the cooking class was supposed to teach students how to prepare heart-healthy foods so that they could take those heart-healthy food preparation skills back home and then improve the heart health of their community. So as part of their project, they looked across the school, they identified a, a room in the school that they said this would be the ideal location for our kitchen. Mm -hmm. They then, for their prototype or their model, they constructed what the kitchen would look like and what supplies they would need. And ultimately, they presented their proposal to the principal and then the superintendent of the district and then ultimately the school board. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also looked about where the class could potentially fit in the schedule. So the students, through that experience, got to realize that they themselves could have the power to change the world. Right. And that, to me, is just the wow of why we do this work. Yeah, it is the wow. Drilling down into these Mm -hmm. problems, when I think about what your students, what those students learned about picking a room, setting up a kitchen, you know, I, I just can't imagine how many different skills they learned from being a part of that. And and for me, when I start thinking about kids and the idea that the work they're doing in school matters, mm-hmm. the things that they're learning in school make a difference. For them, I think it's an opportunity for them to have student voice mm-hmm. in what they're choosing to learn. They get excited about it, energized by it, and realize that they become problem solvers. And goodness, we're going to need those. We're going to need those kids because we continue as we, as agriculture faces things like climate change and, you know, that those, the nine billion and trying to feed people on less land with less water, those things are going to need some bright, amazing, the best STEM students in Ohio. And around the world. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, as we think about, you know, uh, wrapping here, there are two pieces that I think are 
that are really, really critically important that we have to touch on. And one of them is the notion of the authentic audience. Um, Heather mentioned that as part of the process. And, and at PASS, we, we advocate this all the time, that as we truly, truly think about uh, the transition on the teaching side, that transition in the learning component, and how that actually then, quite frankly, translates back into the world of work, authentic audience is one of the most effective, simplest, most comprehensive things that I think a teacher in their work and their practice can do. We always see all the time that, you know, an audience of one is authentic to no one, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Heather, circle back around for me on that because we see this happen in a thousand different ways. And I can tell you there is a day in the spring at the Past Innovation Lab where our in-resident school partners come in and they do their capstone, their, their presentations. That is my favorite day. It's my favorite day too. <laughs> All year round. And, and it's my favorite day because these kids are standing up there alongside researchers in R&D, whatever their, their, their problem and their project was. And they essentially defend their way out of the program through their public demonstration of knowledge. It's awing. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And I think that the students spend the time working on their design challenge project. They begin to develop their expertise. Mm -hmm. And finally, there's an audience, an authentic audience. I remember the very first year for the opioid challenge, there at one school, the audience consisted of a police officer, a mother who had lost her child to opioids, other community members and community agencies and recovery houses. And these students stood there and, and, and presented their ideas and got a chance to get feedback from people who were in the field who knew, who had firsthand experience as adults to say, wow, this solution really makes sense. Mm -hmm. And the students had rehearsed, they had practiced, they were able to justify their reasoning and this is a skill that we all have to do for the rest of our lives as adults. And so what better time than middle school, elementary school to start getting to do that? Yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing because at the end of the day, what happens is we, we watch this young person through this process go from, I know nothing about this, to the expert on the solution, yes. right? And it may not be the global solution, but it's the solution they worked too. And no one is more of an expert in that moment than that individual, right? And you can watch the kids realize my place in the world has shifted. Yes. Uh, I think, Annalise, you also, it also works the opposite way. Oh, yes. When you have industry folks there listening to these students, you get hope for the future. Yeah. <laughs> you get enthusiastic again about education. Um, and you you begin to think, this is this is going to be great. It's all going to be okay because these students are so enthusiastic, knowledgeable, uh, credible, uh, mm -hmm. and they're excited. And that's really something that industry does not get to see very much of. So, so we'll have we'll be there in full force. I, there are twenty six thousand farmers uh, mm -hmm. in Ohio. We won't have all of them there, but <laughs> but we try. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of them would love to come. And so they are interested mm -hmm. in what's going on. We're going to have a lot of industry-related folks there because I think that they will be intrigued by what's going on 
and the students will have great questions for them too. So we're very excited about this. It's it is it's it's awesome to watch, and it's been awesome to watch the two of you and your organizations roll up your sleeves together and craft this. That's been the other thing. And I want to thank you both for for that piece um, because some of that has happened in the innovation lab, just inadvertently you meeting there and being able to watch over a period of, of many months, get ready to do this work has been a wonderful thing to really sort of see how industry says we can actually tackle this and have a very, very meaningful role in education rather than just waiting waiting for education to send us folks, and then we have to figure out what to do with them, whether that's backfilling gaps or um, full-on retraining or some other mechanism that suddenly we weren't prepared for. Um, So this way, we actually get to be part of the solution of our own workforce. And that's one of the things that I love collectively about the work that we are all doing. So Jeannie, I want to circle back around again as that teacher contemplating doing this. And my kids are going through this amazing experience. Um, They're presenting, you know, they're they're, they're getting to that point where they're standing there as that expert. What's what's that experience like for me? And and I'm asking you the question because you do so much teacher professional development and support, whether it be specific to this challenge, but the other work that you do. And I know you bump up against this frequently. And at the end of the day, these are awesome experiences for students in our industry. But if it doesn't change practice, Right. I think teachers, because I was a teacher, exactly. I don't want to insult teachers here, but uh, but I'm a teacher too, mm-hmm. so I think I can I, say it. We all are you know? teachers here. Absolutely. <laughs> I, do, I do think that teachers have always thought they needed to be the smartest person in the room. Right. They needed to be, the old saying was the sage on the stage. Right. And so I think for teachers, and th- particularly this is something that the design challenge does so well, and that is you are definitely, as a teacher, just guiding the learning, getting the, exactly. you know, and it's really hard to teach teachers to step back and let kids lead their own, lead their own learning, mm-hmm. ask tough questions, figure out some answers, run it by some experts, you know, all the things that go along with a design challenge that Heather's been talking about here that's so wonderful. So to teach teachers how to step back mm-hmm. is not an easy thing. It's not. We do summer workshops all the time, and we have them actually, while they're learning about the topic, we also take them out in the field so that they can get, again, get their curiosity going. Talk to a farmer, talk to an agronomist, ask the questions about GMOs and water quality and all that stuff you've been wanting to ask. So I think that one of the main things that we try to do in our professional development is to energize teachers again and make them feel like the things that they are teaching kids are relevant, interesting, and don't need to be, you know, let's read from a book and take a test. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, one of the ca- the kids that I uh, was interviewing yesterday, I asked the question, so what, what's a great teacher? And the response uh, to that question was, I don't need you to share your content knowledge with me. This is almost direct. I don't need, I don't need content knowledge from you. Right. I've got that. I can look anything and everything up. What I desperately need from my teachers is to teach me how to learn, to mentor me, and help me navigate the world. 
Wow. That is a very, very different perspective mm-hmm. than 50, 100 years ago. The world has changed. Knowledge is right in front of us. They need people to lead with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that, Jeannie, you're, you're spot on. I think one of the pieces that teachers do provide in this is a lot of the structure. Exactly. Right? The facilitation. Yeah. yeah. This is when you need to have this done in yeah. order to be able to get to our showcase, which is on this day. Right help setting up the industry experts and making sure that the students are prepared and feel confident. All of these things, that stuff's really important. And it and it's it's complex and it comes from life experience. And I I, I think that's really important not to minimize oh, no. that, right? Yeah. You know, as the teacher, as that facilitator of learning, you know, yes, content knowledge has changed, access to that has changed, but we bring with us as the practitioner. Mm-hmm. Right. That body of experience that leads to um, helping someone else go down the road. And I, that's really powerful. So as we sort of think about and close um, with uh, this conversation, what's what's the parting shot? That one nugget that you want to give back to that teacher we started with um, in the room who's contemplating this. What's the what's the walk away? What's that one thing? Take away and then do this. Do the design challenge. Heather, what, what's your parting shot? Wow. Well, this year, this design challenge, we expect will touch 3,000 students. Awesome. We are going to do another one next year. There's, You don't have to do this design challenge, but there's a ton of resources online. Do a day-long design challenge, a week-long design challenge. Try to help your students experience the design cycle as just a first step. Just get in there and give it a shot. Jeannie? I would say be curious about your food supply. Yeah. <laughs> Ask some questions. Go, you know, not, not just Google the answers, but really look around, think about it. When you start thinking about all the questions that we have about food and the fact that everybody eats, just be curious about it. Mm-hmm. Ask, ask. And for teachers, there are plenty of resources for you, and I stand ready to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I would love to help you think about your food supply with students, um, get them going with some great questions. But we as an agriculture industry care about how people are thinking about their food supply, the facts about their food supply, and we stand ready to help. So anything, I'm, I'm open. I would like to help you understand uh, food and every since everybody eats, everybody ought to be curious and asking questions. Absolutely. And so for our listeners, um, again, we will be posting resources, including um, access to this design challenge and to uh, to both these wonderful ladies. And I want to uh, thank you both profusely, not just for today, but it has been an honor and a privilege and quite frankly, humbling uh, to get to go on this journey with the two of you. So thank you so much for being part of our community. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. Education.